Uh, I said last Sunday I was going to pick us up in John's Gospel, which we're going to do, and we're going to now read the crucifixion, the death, and the burial of the Lord Jesus, the narrative as John presents it to us. So we're going to read uh, a substantial passage of Scripture from John chapter 20, and we're going to read uh, from that second half of verse 16 as it's lined up for us. So we read John 20 from verse 16. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put on the cross, it read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it will be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them and for my clothes they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciples eh, whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, So they put a sponge eh, full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloth with spices 
as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Lord, we thank you for your words to us. Speak to us as we read it afresh, as we come to passages familiar to us, as we come to a day familiar to us as we come, as we do every single week, to contemplate the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. May we hear you speak. Amen. There's a real sense in which we are meant to feel the sadness of these passages. We are meant to feel the sadness as we look upon the horror of what is before us. But the New Testament writers do not want us to stay there. They do not want us to wallow in some kind of sadness as we look at these passages of the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus, and John is no exception to that. John's place, as you will see, as has been, is it is all about fulfillment. Remember the purpose of this gospel, that you might believe. He is constantly, and that is the most important thing we see to John here, it's about fulfillment. It's not about the most amount of details, the other gospels have more of those, but he is giving us evidence of the fulfillment of scripture so that we might believe. And we've come over 16 months and I think 46 sermons in the book of John's Gospel. And if this were a drama, the scene has been well set for us. The characters have been well defined. The latest of those characters, of course, Pilate. And each scene grows in intensity. And we've come through this latest drama with Pilate. And now we arrive at not only the climax of the book of John's gospel, but we come really to the climax of the scriptures. We have delved deep into the words of Jesus, into the life of Jesus, his actions, his miracles. We've spent much time exploring his own own reality that the cross is coming. And we come then to the most important moment in the history of redemption. And it is no cliche to say that the cross is the crux of Christianity. It was J.C. Ryle that said, take away the cross of Christ and the Bible is a dark book. You see, this is the moment that the whole of the scriptures have been preparing us for. From the time of the fall throughout Old Testament revelation, God was leading his people towards the day when he would send a savior. And through that savior would come salvation for all time. In the same way from the conception of Jesus to the Virgin Mary, right through his ministry, his ministry in Jerusalem, the Gospels have been preparing us. The Gospels have been preparing us for his death and everything that it would achieve. It is the reason Easter is in our calendar. It is the reason that we are gathered here this evening. And you come as you read these scriptures and it does cause us to stop It causes us to gaze, it causes us to ponder as we think of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we cannot fathom, we cannot make sense of these events on our own. We have the scriptures that lead us and that's what we've done. We've we've read the accounts as John lays it out. And I think there's, there's three really simple things that the cross reveals to us about the Lord Jesus. They are simply these. 
that Christ is king, Christ is servant, and Christ completes the work that he is sent to do. You see, John avoids that, that lowest moment on the cross. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? It's not there. Because his focus is on the fulfillment of the cross. So we come then to Christ revealed to us as king through the cross. We're met with Jesus bearing his cross. You might visualize those pictures of Jesus carrying this full-blown cross across his back into the ground, but likely he wouldn't have had the big vertical piece that would have already been in the ground um, at, at the site of execution. So it would have been this massive piece of wood that he would have been tied to carrying this piece of wood. So the prisoner was given this horizontal beam to carry through the city. Many didn't make it. Many through on the road to execution through the beatings that they had received would never make it. And we know that Jesus, of course, from the other Gospels doesn't carry this crossbeam the whole way, but Simon of Cyrene comes, commanded by the soldiers to pick it up for Jesus and carry it to the hill of execution. And then they were there. They would have laid it on the ground. They would have attached Jesus with nails to this cross. Then they would have hoisted him up and connected it to this vertical piece. There is then this tiny platform to stand upon that in some ways might look like some form of mercy. That's nice. They'll give them something to stand on. But of course, it just prolongs the agony because without that platform, you would die fairly quickly of asphyxiation. But that isn't the case. They give them this platform so that they can hold themselves up so that the, the agony is extended. John tells us that there's two criminals with Jesus, one on either side. Matthew and Mark tell us that these men were robbers. And Luke tells us that one of these men repented and that Jesus promised him, today you will be with me in paradise. And of course, he was crucified alongside them to fulfill those words of Isaiah 53 verse 12. He was numbered with the transgressors. He died a horrible death, a criminal's death. So we come then through this, this action of Jesus being put onto the cross and then it slows right down we have four verses explaining one detail from verse 90. And it focuses simply on this inscription that Pilate writes upon this placard. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. It's commonplace. You, you put up what the charge is that this man uh, is condemned for. And Pilate writes this message in three languages. Romans would understand the Latin. The Jewish population would understand the Aramaic. And Greek was the universal language of the Mediterranean world. Pilate has, in effect, through these three languages, written there for the whole world to see, this is Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And as this crowd like to do, they get annoyed with it, as they frequently have done in recent passages. They protested but Pilate says, I've written what I have written. You see, the man that is responsible for sentencing Jesus, unwittingly, unknowingly, is this prophet declaring who this man on the cross is. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And it's incredible that, that I've come so much to appreciate in recent weeks the providence of God as seen through these last moments in the life of the Lord Jesus. And we see it again here. 
that even as he comes to this cross, still it is proclaimed before us in three languages. Here is the king. Do you know this placard that is meant to mock him proclaims who this man is. This brutal act that is meant to humiliate this man is actually like his coronation. Jesus says earlier, I'll be lifted up. Lifted up physically onto this cross. But also that those who believe in him may have eternal life. He is lifted up both on this cross and he is lifted up here as the king of the world. And he's also buried like a king. He's buried with ridiculous amounts of spices. An incredibly lavish burial that Jesus goes through. Some reckon it was up to 100 years worth of wages from this man, Joseph of Arimathea. Jesus receives a royal burial. What makes Jesus' death so different from the many tens of thousands that would have gone through crucifixion? Well, it's also the coronation of a king. It's at the moment that everybody in their own language gets to see who this Jesus really is. Here he is. Here's the king. And he's come to die. That's what makes Jesus' death so different. It reveals to us him as king. These events, secondly, the, the, these events continue to develop. These, this horrifying scene, these events carry on. <clears throat> the soldiers divide Jesus' clothes. Often they were stripped naked prisoners. Uh, the Romans loved to do it. They would send you officers back through their own cities naked because uh, it was the greatest form of humiliation. You could possibly give somebody to strip them naked and to send them. And if you can bear the thought, the Son of God was made a public spectacle in the shame of nakedness following this custom. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom, there's a lot of debate about the symbolism of the tunic and everything else. But we know that even in itself, it fulfills scripture. As I ponder this as, as Jesus' servant, even to the point of his death, I'm led back to, to the moment in the upper room at the beginning. John 13, 3-5, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. In that moment, Jesus willingly laid aside his garments to wash his friends' feet. Here we find Jesus with his garments taken from him so that he might serve those that he came to serve. John is painting for us that this cross is no accident, that the death of our Lord Jesus is not some tragic accident, but that it came to pass through the invisible hand of the sovereign God. D.A. Carson on this simply says, the same self-humbling operates, but here, to the last degree, as he laid aside his glory, and by this act and this divine paradox is glorified. We see the humility of the Lord Jesus washing his disciples' feet. We see the humility of the Lord Jesus as he gives his life as a ransom for many. And through his service, through his death, he is glorified. 
What's so different about the death of the Lord Jesus? Well, he is king, but he is a servant king. He's a king who came to humble himself to serve people like you and me. The final thing the cross reveals to us is that Christ completed the work that the Father had sent him to do. Verse 28 says that Jesus knew that all was finished to accomplish scripture. Of course he did. Of course he knew it. He's very much in control here. Reminds you again those words we've quoted a lot in recent weeks from John 10. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. His death was willingly laid down. And then in verse 30, we read, when Jesus had received the sour wine vinegar, he said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What does it mean? It means that Jesus completed the work that was assigned to him by his Father. That the cross completes everything that the Father had given him to do, right down to the tiniest of details. His shout of accomplishment and it is finished is the cry that that creation has longed for since Adam it is a cry that was not able to be cried no man could possibly ever cry those words it is finished but he who hung on that tree do you know there's, there's much debate in our day and age about about what was finished there is from the world of liberal scholars, the attack on substitutionary atonement, the idea that, that how could a father possibly take out wrath on his son? You'll hear guys like Steve Chalk call this the right view of the cross, cosmic child abuse, but it's an attack on the very essence of Jesus and his mission because there was no other way. There was no other way that the wrath of God might be satisfied than the sinless, spotless, unblemished Lamb of God. Augustine, centuries ago, wrote, for even the Lord was subject to death. He took upon him our punishment, and so looseth our guilt. Now, as men were lying under this wrath, by reason of their original sin, there was need for a mediator. That is for a reconciler who by offering of one sacrifice of which all the sacrifices of the law and the prophets were type should take away this wrath. Only he. Do you know we're welcomed into John's gospel by John the Baptist and his declaration of behold the Lamb of God. And so here he is. Here he is as he was on that day, so here he is. This is our king. This is our servant king. This is our servant king that completed the work that was for him on the cross. Often I think very quick. We can be quick to jump to to, to Sunday, to jump to the resurrection. But it's important that we stop. It's important that that we stop and So on one hand, you sense, don't you, the confusion of the disciples, the heart of the disciples when Jesus was gone. That lack of belief that he actually was coming back. But friends, would we rest in what Jesus has done? Would we take our burdens to Calvary and would we leave them there? 
would we know genuine freedom? Would we not fear the punishments of sin, nor worry about the law of God, because it will not condemn us? But we may rest. We may rest in the completed work of the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that all that needs to be done for us to be saved has been done. Look at your own works. Look at your own life. Everything, despite how hard we try, is unfinished and imperfect. But looking at Jesus, looking at the work he carried out even as he died, we know that our salvation is finished. This work is not unfinished. This work is not imperfect. But it is finished. And it is perfect. This is the sacrifice that truly sets us free from our sins. The Romans killed tens of thousands by crucifixion. But there was only one who was a king and reigned while he was on that cross. There was only one who served while he was on that cross. And there was only one who completed the work of salvation as sent by the Father on that cross. Jesus is the king. He's the king who serves. And he is the king who completes the work that the Father sent him to do so that we might be reconciled to God and know him. What a king. What a servant. What a saviour. It brings us then to worship. As we gather around this table, in a moment, as we, we take to this table and these elements. Before we do so, let's just take a moment of silence, shall we? Let us just ponder, let us reflect on the life of our Lord Jesus.